you this morning. Verse, we're going to start in verse 11. And uh, speaking of what Arkansas Baptist Children's Home and Family Ministries are doing, we're talking about we prove our love with action. We prove our love with action. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I love you, but their actions said something else? Many of us have, have experienced that. Whether it's a 15-year-old boy telling a 14-year-old girl how desperately he loves her, something as innocent as puppy love, or whether it's someone close to us, a a parent, a spouse, someone who has that deep relationship with us, who tells us that they love us, but then their actions prove something else. And so the goal of this passage is for us to make sure that we are not just living in word, but that we are living in deed, okay? We're, we're, we're acting out the love that we profess to have for people. And so that's where we're going this morning. Um, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, it starts like this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Now, for those of you who have been going through 1 John with us verse by verse, then we, here we are. He's mentioning in the beginning, from the beginning again. And we know that he, John, is constantly looking back at how God has been at work through the ages, specifically in the person of Jesus and who he is. And so he is telling us once again that, that this message that he is telling us, that he is in the middle of, that we will look at again today, that this message that you have heard from the beginning, you have heard this even before Jesus was born. You have heard this since Abraham, especially since Moses, that we are to love. And he's going to go back even before Abraham in just a moment and show us an example of someone who did not love like he should have. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. If you remember, Cain and, uh, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's children, if you go way back to Genesis. And we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. Okay, I'm going to pause there and say, we don't have time to go into why Cain did it, the, what was going through his mind. What happened is, is that him and Abel both offered sacrifices. Abel offered the first fruits of his grain, and Cain offered a sacrifice also. And we don't know exactly what was going on. Abel, we know, offered it with the right heart. Cain did not. We don't have the details of it. But if you would like to contemplate things like this, then you should come to our Wednesday night Bible studies because this is the kind of stuff we do. We just sit around and talk and explore God's Word together and explore how we can put it into action. And so, uh, Terry, will you stand up? Because he loves doing that. And Carol, thank you. Carol's up running our computer. Uh, so if you're underneath the balcony, you probably can't see her. But they uh, are our men's teacher, our women's teacher. Um, on Wednesday nights, we break up into gender and go into Bible studies together. And then we have a ton of people, a ton of adults who are helping with our children's and youth ministries on Wednesday night who um, we appreciate the work that they do. And our children get to dive into God's Word on Wednesday night also. So there's a little plug for that. And now, with this, and why did he murder him? Why did Cain murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, we're trying to cover several verses this morning, and so I don't have enough time to spend 
as much as I would like to on each one. But I do want to say this, that this sets the stage for the rest of this passage. Okay? Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. What we're going to be looking at this morning is this truth. That when you do the right thing, some people don't like it. Some people don't like you. And it would be great if we lived in a world where you only got reward for doing the right thing. But we don't live in that world. We live in a world where you also sometimes get persecution for doing the right thing. Now, sometimes we get reward for doing the right thing here on earth. Um, Rose and I, we try to reward our children for doing the right thing. Anytime they do something well, we try to reward them and tell them how much we love them and tell them how proud we are of them. And when they do something wrong, we don't reward them, but we still tell them how much we love them and how proud of them we are. But don't do that again or else. Okay, but that's a different story. So we wish we lived in a world where it was only reward for doing the right thing. But we're not there yet. That world awaits us. Heaven awaits us. Restoration and God making all this right, that is coming if we believe the Bible. But right now, we live in a world where we are called to do the right thing, but when we do the right thing, sometimes we suffer. If I were to ask you if you've ever suffered for doing the right thing, most of you in this room would raise your hand. And here, Abel did the right thing. He offered his sacrifice the right way. And what was Cain's response? Jealousy, anger, murder. Let's continue with our passage. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So how do we know that we have passed out of death and into life? How do we know that we are saved? And we've been talking about in First John several ways that we can know that we are a Christian. Almost each week or every other week, we see John bring something up that tells us how we can know we are a Christian. And in this case, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So your love for other people is an indication that you are probably saved. So, And he's writing to Christians, remember, to people who at least profess to be Christians. And so I am addressing you this morning, and I think most of you in here would profess to be followers of Jesus, would profess to love him. And so I'm telling you, as John was telling his audience, I'm telling you that we, how can we know that we are, have passed from death into life? And, and if we have love for other people, for our brothers, then that's an indication that we have passed from death into life for, for other Christians, for other people. Now, hopefully most of us in here, I would hope all of us, but at least most of us in here love our families. But even lost people love their families, right? We, we see that in Scripture. And so this is going beyond just our families. This is going to the people around us, to the people that might get on our nerves a little bit. Not that your families don't do that. But um, to the people that you might have a hard time dealing with, and yet we still love them. And this type of love, this Christ-like love, this unconditional love, is evidence that if you have that, then you have probably passed from death into life. But look at the next sentence. Whoever does not love lives where? Abides where? In death. 
And so what this is telling us is, if you say you have love, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't have love, then that might be an indication that you're not a Christian. If you find it difficult to love any person that you come into contact with, if you find it difficult to, um, to even like most people, that's not a good indication. And so we're going to focus on this a little more later, but let's continue reading. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now, John is probably referring to Jesus and him saying, if you've, you know, if you've lusted in your mind, then you have committed adultery. If you have hated in your, in your mind and your heart, then you've committed murder. So everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you don't know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, if we are to look at this in context, then when John is making statements like that throughout this letter, and we have seen several instances of this already, he is talking about a a perpetual action. So a perpetual hating. If, if If you are filled with hate rather than love, and you are hating your brother, then you are, in essence, uh, spiritually murdering your brother. And if you are full of hate, then that's probably an indication that you do not have eternal life abiding in you. Now, can someone who commits murder be forgiven for murder? Yes. There's no sin that we cannot be forgiven for. The only sin that the Bible says we can't be forgiven for is the refusal to accept Jesus as Savior. The refusal to acknowledge Him. And, and this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, of course a murderer can be forgiven. And, and this isn't saying that he can't. He's just using um, these words to, to show us that we as Christians should be filled with love rather than with hate. And if we are filled with hate or anger toward the people around us, then that should be a check in our spirit. That should be a warning that maybe we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And it's almost like every week throughout this letter, we're seeing John dealing with this. Are we saved or are we not saved? Well, if you are saved, then these should be the fruits in your life, the evidences in your life. If, if, you, are, if you are not saved, that's if you are saved. If you are not saved, then this is probably what's going on in you and through your actions. And so here again, he's telling us to love rather than hate. Verse 16, how do we even know what love is? Right? If John is calling us to love rather than hate, how do we even know what that is? Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Many people, many men in this room, many, some women in this room joined the military in order to protect their country. Now, I'm not saying that that desire is equated with salvation or anything like that. But I am saying that it is a noble action to desire to join the military in order to protect your fellow countrymen. And some of you joined the military because you were drafted or because you had no option career-wise. Um, but still, there, there were things you could have done to not be honorable and many chose to act honorably. And so it's, I'm glad that we're here reading a verse about being willing to lay down our lives for the brothers in, uh, on a weekend such as this, that where we're celebrating Veterans Day. Um, but here we see, by this we know love. So we can see a little example of that in our veterans, but who's the ultimate example of that, of love? 
Jesus. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If we have Jesus in us, if we are saved, if we have been born again, if, if we are a follower of his, if we are his disciple, okay, if we're his, then there should be a desire within us to put others first. Now, that desire might not always be there in its fullest power. That desire might find its way out the door every once in a while when you're hungry or you haven't slept or the wrong person says the wrong thing or whatever the case might be. But the, the, the normal desire for us, the default for us as Christians, should be love. A love that causes us to be willing to lay down our lives for the people around us. And now I'm not just talking about dying. I'm talking about in life, living in a way that puts others before ourselves. As we read in Philippians, back when we were studying that letter, he, Jesus, um, considered others, and he calls us to consider others more significant than ourselves. And so that's what we, as Christians, should do. And the ultimate example of this was Jesus. As we get closer to Christmas, we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be talking about his, his choice to be born as a man. Because if we believe Scripture, if we believe this letter, if we believe the gospel according to John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who is the Word? Jesus. And he was from the beginning. Before he was born as a man, he already existed as God, with God. And so, he, was, he chose to be born. He chose to make that sacrifice. And that's something that we need to keep in mind as we're looking to his example. He considered others more important. He put us first. He, of course, he put the Father first, and he uh, showed us an example by living that way. But when he came to this earth, even his coming was putting others first. And then he lived his life where he, in his life, constantly put others first. And then he went to his death, putting others first. And by this we know love. By Jesus' actions, we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But, verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And so again, John is saying, let's not just say we love, let's prove we love. Jesus proved he loved. And if we have the world, if if we have the world's goods and we see people in need, if we see people hurting, then if we don't give to them, if we don't help provide for those needs, then how can we say that we have love? How does God's love abide in us? Now, I want to bring your attention to a word here, need. Sees his brother in want? No. Sees his brother in need. And so we have to be careful because we can give all of our resources to people who just want and are willing to take advantage of those willing to help. We can give all our resources to those type of people if we're not careful and not have resources left for those who are in need. And so... We have to use discernment, and we have to use good judgment. We have to be wise. We have to make sure that we are helping people who are truly in need. But if I have to make an error on helping someone 
because I'm not sure whether this is a want or a need. I'm not sure if this person might be taking advantage of me or not. Then I usually choose to make an error on the side of grace. Because I would rather help someone who was taking advantage of me and I didn't know it than not help someone who truly needed help. And so we just have to use wisdom here. But what this verse is doing is it's going to the heart of the matter for us as Christians. If we see people in need and that doesn't prick our heart, if we can watch this video of Arkansas Baptist Children's Home, if we can hear the testimonies of what God is doing through New Beginnings Children's Home, if, if we can go to the food closet, or, or hand in hand, sorry, not that I just combined clothes closet and food pantry. If we can go to hand in hand and see the people come in who are in need, and if you don't know what hand in hand is, Every Thursday, we have a group of people in our church who serve others by giving out food. It's a food pantry. And um, if you can see people come in in need, now, of course, some of them are taking advantage. But if, if you can see people come in in need and your heart not be pricked, if you can see people who don't have a coat come into the clothes closet needing a, a coat, we also have a clothes closet here at the church, well, I say that. Right now, it's at CV's. Um, <clears throat> we took all of our stuff to CV's. I say we. I had nothing to do with it. It was Nan and her people. Um, and put it in front of the store there for anybody who needs to take what they need. Um, but if, if we could see people in this type of weather who are cold and don't have a coat, and we see that and we don't help them, how can we claim to have the love of God in us? If we can see people who can't pay their electric bill and we don't do something if we have the world's goods if we're able and we don't do something how can we say that the love of god abides in us if we can see people who are living in sin and need someone to confront them lovingly and caringly in that sin and we don't do it how can we say we have the love of god in us if if we have the capacity to know that this is wrong and this is going to lead to destruction, and we see someone living that way, it, there should be something in us, if we love God and we're his, that, that causes us to say something. If we see someone who needs help mentally, who needs to see a professional, and we don't say something, then does the love of God abide in us? So here's the thing. When we see people who have needs... And we can do something about that. What should we do? We should do something. Now, okay, I think I said enough about that. Let's keep going. (laughs) Verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk. Okay, so he's now saying what he's really been saying all along. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, let's see what this is saying. There are people who talk a big game about helping others, um, about loving God. But then, their fruit's not there. The actions are not there. Okay? Let us love, not, let us not love in word or talk. Let's just not brag and make a big deal about things and say we're going to do things that we don't do. And say we're going to do things that never happen. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed. Let's do it. 
Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. And in truth. You know that the Bible teaches us that there is a proper way to give? Is the proper way to give to give and then brag about it? No. The Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is giving or doing. Is the proper way to give to, to oh, there's this need and I'm a Christian so I guess I got to meet this need. <sighs> is that the proper way to give? No. Some verses of scripture seem to say that God would rather us not give at all than to give like that. So how are we to give? I'm sure all of you are right, but I couldn't distinguish one word in what was just muttered all over the room. Joyfully. Joyfully. And in truth. What, what does that mean, in truth? It means that we're doing it the way that God has called us to do it. We're not just meeting needs for our benefit so that people will say, oh, what a good guy or gal. We're doing it so people will say, praise God. Why did you do this for me? Because we love him and, and his love is in us and we are bid to do it. We, we can't help but to do it because of the love that he has given us. It's for his glory, not for our glory. That's what in truth is, is when we're giving for the glory of God, when we're giving out of this need as a Christian, out of this, out of this part of our new person and new nature, this need to put others before ourselves in order to glorify God the Father and to help those in need. And so, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Ooh, i got to hurry up. It's 1149. Okay, let's go. Verse 19. So by this, by the things that he just talked about, by, the, by us serving the Lord, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth, um, by us doing like Jesus and laying, put, putting um, our lives on the line for our brothers, by serving others like Jesus did, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. These things will help us know that we're Christians. If we're able to give like God has told us to give, if we're able to sacrifice and put others before ourselves the way that God has called us to sacrifice and put others before ourselves, and, and, and yes, of course there are going to be exceptions to that. Of course we're going to fail at loving. That is taught, and we've already seen that in First John. We are going to sin. Anyone who says they don't have sin is a liar, is what First John says. We're going to sin. But the, 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 that's the exception to the rule. When we don't love someone well. When we don't do things the way we're supposed to. The rule is, we're striving to live for God. We're striving to love God. And we're seeing some success in that. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before him. So, how many of you have ever... And I'm going to ask you to go ahead and raise your hand. Maybe this was 40 years ago. But how many of you, as Christians, have ever questioned your salvation? Many of us in this room. So how can we reassure our hearts before him? By living the way he has taught us to live. And if we can succeed at that, with temporary setbacks and failures, if we can succeed at that, then that should reassure us. And if we can't, if we find it difficult or impossible to love other people, then that should tell us something about ourselves. But how can we reassure our hearts before him? By living the way he's told us to. Look at verse 20, continuing this. For whenever our heart condemns us, 
But what about those of us who really are saved? And yet we've made mistakes. And we've asked for forgiveness of those mistakes. But we continue to beat ourselves up about it. Anybody else ever been like that? What about then? When our heart's not reassuring us. For whenever our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart. Praise God. That God is greater than my doubts. God is greater than my insecurities. God is greater than my heart. When my heart, my conscience and all of that that works together, when it's telling me you're not good enough, when it's telling me you failed at loving that person, how can you even call yourself a Christian? And I've already repented. I've already asked God to forgive me. I've already been... uh, Ask my neighbor to forgive me, and, and my heart is still condemning me. God is greater than our hearts. Praise God for that. And He knows everything. He knows everything you've done. He knows everything. And He's not condemning you. So why are you condemning you? For those of you who really are Christians. Now remember, that's a big if, as we've talked about in weeks past. But if we are Christians, and if we are living like John is telling us to live, and that's the rule most of the time, then that should reassure our hearts. And when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Let's look at verse 21. Beloved, and here's another proof that he's talking to people who are Christians or at least claim to be Christians. He's calling them beloved. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If we are in right fellowship with God, then what does our heart give us? Or sorry, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have, it gives us confidence before God if we're in right fellowship with him. And what then? Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Whatever we ask. Now, this isn't saying that if you ask for a Lexus, God is going to give it to you or I would be driving a pretty sweet Bentley right now. That's not what it's saying. Actually, I wouldn't want that. I would want a Jeep um, if anybody is looking for a Christmas present for your pastor. But here's the deal. God is not saying that he will give us anything we ask for no matter what. He's saying if we're in right fellowship with him and we love him and we're striving to live for him and, and we are so right with him, he's saying all we will ask for is stuff that he wants us to have. All we will ask for is stuff that's going to glorify him. We are going to ask for opportunities to suffer for him if we're right with him. Whatever we ask for, he will give us. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Now, there are parts of the Bible that say... Uh, be saved and baptized, right? And we don't believe that you have to actually, as Baptists, we don't believe that you have to be baptized in order to become a Christian. We believe that it is by grace, this is the Bible, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. We believe that it is a gift of God and that all we have to do in order to be saved is have faith that he can save us. Have faith that Jesus is the son of God. Have faith that he is going to become our God. And we are going to become his people. And we are going to live for him. And so when this set. Just as we don't believe that baptism saves us. We don't believe that loving one another saves us. But if you are truly saved. If the Holy Spirit has entered you. If you are his. 
then you're going to desire baptism because he has commanded baptism. And if you are truly his and if you are truly saved and the spirit of God lives in you, then you are going to desire to love one another and you are going to love one another because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are God's now. You're not yourselves. We can no longer do what, what we desire. We have to do what he desires because we are his. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's, that's how salvation is achieved is he has done what's necessary. All we have to have, do is have faith. And love one another. And the loving one another has to come for people who claim to be Christians. If you say you are a Christian, but you do not love one another, then you need to ask yourself if you're really a Christian. Because the Bible says over and over and over again that those who are in Christ will be like Christ. And Christ obviously loved others. And he has called us to do the same. And John is is, is saying it's so important that he's linking it right up with salvation. That if salvation occurs, then loving one another will occur. He's not saying you're saved by loving one another. That's getting the order reversed. If you love one another, I'm sorry, if you are saved, you will love one another. Just as he has commanded us. Verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides. Here's that word again. Whoever keeps his commandments lives in him. In God. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So more reassurance. How can we know we are Christians? Well, he's told us a lot of ways during this sermon that we can know we are Christians. Do we have a desire to love others? Do we have a desire to put our lives on the line for the sake of others? To lay down our lives? Do we have that desire? Does our heart reassure us because we are seeing needs and meeting those needs? There's a lot of ways that we can know that we're a Christian. And the one that he ends this chapter on, of course, he wasn't writing in chapters, but where this ends is that he has given us the Holy Spirit. How do we have the desire? How are we empowered to be able to love others as Christ has called us to love them? How are we empowered to be able to be sacrificial in a way where it hurts us and yet we see someone in need so we have to to do something that pains us in order to help them. How can we even do that? The Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Our teacher, our counselor. He empowers us to be able to do these things through Christ. And so, maybe you're here this morning and God spoke to you in some way during this sermon. Maybe you've seen people in need and you haven't helped them as you should. Maybe you've helped people in need, but you've been doing it because you care about what people think about you. Or you've been doing it for your own glory. Maybe you haven't been loving people the way that you should. You look at your life and you look at the people around you and you see the fallout from the way that you haven't loved people as you should. Maybe that's the case. There are so many different ways that God could have been convicting you during this message and during this passage that we just read. And so my invitation to you right now is to respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. Maybe some of you need someone to pray for you. I'd be happy to pray for you. Our deacons, your friends that are Christians in this room, fellow Christians, or if you're not a Christian and other Christians that are, other people who are, would be happy to pray for you.
and ask God to help you in whatever you're going through. And so, however God is leading you to respond to him this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation where you can make something public or you can, where you are sitting in your seat without anybody knowing or looking, talk to God. But make sure that if he is encouraging you to talk to someone that you're doing that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, I just ask that you would help us to love you the way you have called us to love you. Lord, I pray that that you would reassure us if we are saved, that you would reassure us if our heart is condemning us. Lord, you are bigger than our hearts. Give us peace right now. But God, if we are not saved and we have been calling ourselves Christians but not living it, not loving others, not doing anything that would prove that we are, then Lord, examine us and let us know that we are not saved if we're not saved. So God, you move during this time and you help us to respond in whatever way you're calling us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.